Hey, good morning, everybody. We're so glad to worship with you today. I know that the way that we've been worshiping these last couple weeks feels different, but I hope that it's also begun to maybe feel special for you. I know several of you are gathering with family members in your living rooms and other places in your home to worship together, and we want to invite you to do that with us again today. We know the Lord has something special for us, and we're excited to experience that together. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. If you need to stay connected with what's going on, don't forget that the church has an app that you can download. You can text CCOG app to 77977. That'll download the app right to your phone, and you can follow along with all the things that are going on, especially if there are any schedule changes. Also remember that the app gives you a way to give, or you can text CCOG give to 77977. And that's a way that you can make your gift during the week. We want to thank you in advance for all of the support and all of the prayer that you've shown to us. We're learning a lot as we go, I think, in trying to provide a worship experience that's authentic and something that you and your family um, can experience the presence of God right where you are. That's what we want to do today, and we're going to invite him in right now. So will you pray with me? Father, we give this time to you. All of our worship belongs to you. No matter what's happened in our week, uh, no matter what's happening in the world around us, we can always come into your presence and find peace and stillness. And so we pray that today you would settle our anxious hearts, that you would take all of the emotions that we felt this week, the roller coaster ride that we've been on, that you would receive all of that, accept us as we are, and that whatever worship that we have to offer you today would be received as a blessing. God, you know that we, we can't just uh, forget about everything that's going on, but we're going to come to you just as we are with all of the things that are pressing on our heart and lay them at your feet and offer our best self to you right where we are, in our living rooms, at our dining room tables, wherever we sit today. And we pray that you will receive our worship and that we can celebrate in your presence. Thank you for your love and grace. Uh, we are looking forward to experience in the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
The writer says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice and let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we with reverence can serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. So Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. Thanks be to God.
Thank you for the gift of Christ who has overcome the world. We may experience trouble on this side, but Father, what is ahead of us is glorious because we will have the opportunity to stand in your presence, in your fullness. And so we resonate with the words we've sung today. There is no power of hell or scheme of man that can take us out of your hand. We're firmly planted there and held. And today, Lord, we need to know that being held gives us security and confidence. So thank you so much. Thank you that we can celebrate today, even in the midst of uncertainty. Thank you that we can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and there is no enemy who can come to battle against us who will win because he has secured the victory. Thank you that in the midst of grief, thank you that in the midst of sorrow, thank you that even in the midst of our frustration, you stand victorious over it all. Because you have conquered sin and fear and death, and it holds no power over us today. May that word, Father, bring hope. May it sustain us not just in this time of worship, but also as we move ahead. Now we pray that as we open your word together, that you'll speak to us. That we'll see something there we haven't seen before. That we'll hear your voice speak to us a new way. Your word is alive. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is living and it is still breathing and speaking to us today by the power of your spirit. So Holy Spirit, have your way and speak to your children today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a little bit of a different setup this week, so give me just a second. So, I'm excited again this week to share a word with you, only because it's amazing to me that long before we knew that we would find ourselves wandering in the um, experience that we have with this virus and with our quarantine, um, God knew what we would need to hear from his word. And so, the text that we're studying today comes from the Gospel of John, much like last week. We'll fast forward this week to chapter 11. So, I want to give you a minute to get there and take your Bible at home or your phone if that's where you read scripture and find your way to John's Gospel, the 11th chapter. Because I want to begin with the power of God's Word today. But as we step into the chapter, we're going to come into the middle of it. And so what I want to do today is give you just a little bit of backstory. John chapter 11 tells the story of the death of Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and word had come to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And even though Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick, he told his disciples, listen, his sickness will not end in death, but this is for God's glory, so that his son may be glorified. We, we learned that early on in the, in the chapter in which John tells the story. Here's the interesting thing. By the time that Jesus gets to where Lazarus is, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Now, his disciples have misunderstood his words. Jesus has been explaining that what they perceive this is isn't what it really is. But by the time that Jesus gets to town, this sickness that he said wouldn't end in death certainly looks like something has gone awry. In fact, Lazarus is dead. He's been in a tomb for four days. And when he arrives to town, he finds many people grieving over Lazarus' death, including Mary and Martha. Martha comes out to meet Jesus first, and they have an important conversation. And Martha says to him, Lord, I know. I just know if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What an honest statement. Lord, I know who you are, and I know what you can do, and I know if you had shown up when we sent for you, that this wouldn't be the outcome. And Jesus says something very powerful to Martha in that moment. What he says to her is simply this, your brother will rise again. And, and Jesus and Martha have an incredible conversation about resurrection power. What Jesus says to Martha in that moment is there is a day when your brother will rise again. And Martha's thinking long term. She doesn't know what Jesus is about to do. But she talks about resurrection as if she understands it, that there is coming a day when those who are dead will rise again. 
And Jesus says to her, Martha, I'm the resurrection. I am the power that gives life to death. I bring things that have died back to life again. And I can offer the kind of life so that you'll never really die. Do you, do you understand that about me? And Martha makes a huge proclamation about the nature of Jesus. Yes, she says, I know you're the Messiah. I know you're the anointed one, the one who has come into the world. Martha leaves Jesus. You notice that Jesus doesn't offer her words of consolation except to say there's a resurrection coming, but Martha doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. So Martha goes back and gets Mary and says, Mary, the Lord is here and he's asking for you. And at hearing this, Scripture says Mary jumps up from where she is and leaves and heads immediately to where Jesus is. He's not yet come into the village, but he's still outside the village where Martha encountered him. But there are all these people in Mary's house who've been grieving with her too, sitting with her while she's mourning the loss of her brother. And they all come too as if to sort of interrupt a private moment between Mary and Jesus. It's what happens next that I want to draw our attention to today. So John chapter 11, beginning now in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he? who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying. This is God's word for us today. And we give thanks for it. I pause at this point in the story because there are a couple things I don't want you to miss. And the first is this. Just like her sister before her, Mary looks right at Jesus and says, if you had come when we called you, Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I wonder how many of you today feel like I do, where there's been a moment or more than one in your life where you are calling out for the Lord. Lord, come. Do what we know you can do. Show yourself. Demonstrate your power. You have the capacity to change the course of what's happening here, God. Please come. And God, while present, doesn't respond to our needs the way that we want Him to. I'm so grateful that this part of the story is captured in John's Gospel because today I want to remind you of this. That God will not always respond to the things that are happening in your life He's not always going to intervene the way that you want him to. But just because he doesn't, doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan. See, Mary and Martha weren't present for the part of the conversation where Jesus had told his disciples, this sickness won't end in death, but this is for God's glory so his son can be glorified. They weren't there. They didn't know. They didn't know that God was about to do something in this moment that they couldn't see. What they saw was a sick brother who was breathing his last. And what they wanted was the miraculous hands of the Savior to come in and move in that moment. I don't know about you, but if I'm really honest, one of the things that I wrestle with the most in my faith is a God who can, but does not always. Does that resonate with you a little bit? That you serve and worship. We've sung praises today to a God who is able, but sometimes does not. And even though we, we know the end of the story for Lazarus, we know that there is a moment coming when Jesus will summon Lazarus forth from the grave and he will rise up after four days dead. 
I love this story because there's a moment in the King James where when he asked for the stone to be rolled away, the response to Jesus is, but Lord, he stinketh. It is the, it's the humanity of the moment that meets God's divinity. And we see in this moment the fact that we know the end of the story, that Jesus will indeed call Lazarus forth, but sometimes he doesn't. What does it mean for us to worship a God who can but does not always? What kind of emotion does that stir up in you? Frustration? Disappointment? Maybe even anger? That's one of the things of our faith, friends, that's a, a, rest, a wrestling question for all time. It is what some people would say is even unanswerable. Why does God not always intervene? He is intervening in this circumstance, just not in the way that Mary or Martha wanted him to. But what I want to say to you first and foremost today is that even though you cannot see the plan that God is working, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan to bring beauty from ashes. It doesn't mean that God cannot redeem our mourning and turn our mourning into dancing. It's just that sometimes the way he does it doesn't look like the way that we want him to. But that's not all of the beauty of this part of the story. Mary comes out to Jesus, and she pours her heart out to him. The minute that she sees him, she's overcome with emotion, and she says, You didn't come when we called, and I just know that if you had, if you had been here the way that we asked you to be, in the moment that we asked you to be, this would have turned out differently. And then scripture says that she begins to weep. But this is not, this isn't a quiet cry. This is a wail. This is a sob. This is the kind of tears and, and aching and yearning that calls the attention of everyone else around. This is not a humble, quiet, behind closed doors cry. This is a public, literally heart-wrenching cry at the feet of Jesus. I'm sure, as before, her tears are now wetting his feet. And Jesus sees her in this moment. He takes it all in, and all of the people who have gathered, who have come into the home of this family to sit with Mary and Martha in their grief, and they too begin to weep. And it's the same kind of cry, Scripture says. It's a wailing, it's a sobbing. Literally, their hearts are broken in two. And as they weep and as they wail, Jesus sees them. And he has a visceral response to what he sees. This is the place where we often turn to in scripture to fill our hearts with comfort. Because we see a picture of Jesus grieving. We see that Jesus too cries. But something happens before Jesus' tears that I don't want to get away from. It's the language that says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I want to sit there for just a moment and tell you that our English translations don't do justice to what is happening inside Jesus at this moment. Our translations are small in comparison to what John describes as happening internally for Jesus. What, where we read deeply moved in spirit, what Jesus is experiencing is compared to anger. There's a parallel that says that the emotion that Jesus is experiencing in this moment isn't... Uh, a deep compassion. It's not a, it's not a move of the spirit that's softening. It's a move of the spirit that is fiery. There's something within him getting churned up, almost as if he is indignant. But scripture also says that he was troubled. This is where we see the external expression of that internal anger start to come about. It literally means that he's agitated. There's an internal commotion that's starting to express itself outwardly. And maybe when we read this, a better picture of what's happening is as Jesus sees people crying, he becomes agitated in his spirit and he starts to physically tremble within himself. I don't know about you, but that gives me pause. Why in the world would sorrow, why in the world would grief make Jesus angry? The cause and effect in John here is simple. He sees Mary weeping, he sees the people weeping, and then he's moved, but moved to right. 
righteous anger. There is, there is almost a sense where Jesus is indignant about what's happening, which begs the question, why? Lazarus was his friend, too. It wasn't just an ordinary man. This is a man with whom he had deep relationship. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were to Jesus like a second family. This was also his brother. So why be angry in the moment? I've asked a lot of questions about that this week. I wonder if you have too. If sometimes in your grief you find that what you are is not sad but angry. But here are the questions I've been asking myself. And I invite you to wrestle with these two. What is Jesus angry about? Is it his own grief? It is, is it the grief that he's watching people express? Is it the grief that's caused by death? And that angers Jesus because he knows that there's an opportunity to live beyond death. He knows what he's come to do and what he's come to offer. Or maybe it is that Jesus is angry about sin. The sin that causes grief and death. The sin that has come into the world that took God's perfection in the beginning and marred it. And so when death came into play, when sin entered the world, this is just one more extension of the power and grip of death. And Jesus is angry in the moment about what sin has the power to do. Or maybe, maybe Jesus is angry that death covers up life. Maybe standing with the reality that he's walking to his own death. Maybe what makes Jesus really angry is that death has the capacity to choke out life and hope. Because what he sees in the faces of the people who are at his feet weeping is not hope. It's sorrow and desperation. Or maybe, just maybe, I wonder if Jesus is angry at the enemy who uses death to steal and kill and destroy. I want to tell you this. I don't think that we can know for sure. But there's a part of me that thinks the answer to every single one of those questions is yes. That what has stirred up inside of Jesus is what death can do to life and the knowledge that he'll also walk a similar road I just wonder if when he walked up outside the tomb that was sealed with Lazarus inside, if there was this moment of premonition where Jesus could see himself. This is where he was headed. This is what he would do for the world. But here's what I want to show you in the midst of all this. Here's what I think that God, in his glorious redemption, wants to give all of us in the story of Lazarus. Yes, that sickness would not end in death for God's glory. But God demonstrates something to us in the midst of this. I, I have to believe that right now is so important to all of us, and that's this. Jesus understands all of our emotions. Jesus knows what it's like to be angry. Jesus knows what it's like to be agitated. Jesus knows what it's like to be so troubled on the inside that it literally causes him to shake. Jesus knows what it's like to grieve and to weep. At the very beginning of John's gospel, there's a statement in verse 5 where scripture literally says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We see a Jesus who experiences anger, who experiences frustration, who experiences grief, who experiences love. And I want to say to you today, friends, God understands what you are feeling. Can I be honest with you and just tell you, my feelings have been all over the place this last week. I've gone from peace and confidence and assurance in the presence of God to being overwhelmed with anxiety, to almost getting angry at people who won't respect social distancing and not protect other people. I felt so many emotions, I don't know what to do with them all. And then I come to this text and I discover a God who has experienced them all too. In the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus, in full humanity, felt everything that we feel. And in full divinity, stood in the face of death and felt angry for what it would bring to us. 
but could also see what was coming. And by that I mean this. He wasn't just thinking about the resurrection of Lazarus. He was thinking about what the Father would accomplish through his life and his death and the promise of resurrection that was to come. Here's the hope of this story, friends. Jesus not only felt all our feelings, but even at the entrance to the tomb that encaved his friend, Jesus also stood triumphant over every single one of those feelings. He knew that grief was temporary. He knew that anger would come in a flash, but that it could pass. He knew sadness. He knew frustration in his spirit. But he also stood as the one sent into the world to deliver the world so that our faith that we place in him, even when he doesn't show up and do what we want him to do the way that we want him to do it, that our faith is enough to rest in the one who would overcome death. I've heard it said several times that you can see Jesus perform resurrections. Lazarus isn't the only one. But it's far more impressive to pay, place your faith in someone who predicts his own death and resurrection, and then it happens. See, Jesus standing outside the tomb of Lazarus and calling him forth, everyone could see his power at work. Everyone could see the manifestation of the power of God at work in Jesus. But for Jesus himself to forecast his death and his resurrection... And then for it to come to pass. I wonder if you, like me today, need to anchor yourself in the promise of a God who would literally give the best thing that he had, lay his own life down for the salvation of the world, and predict his resurrection, and then have it come to pass. Jesus doesn't just feel all our feelings, but he stands triumphant over every feeling we've ever felt. The ones that have come and the ones that will come and the ones that you feel right now. I want to offer you a word of hope and comfort today. And it's simply this. God sees you. Just like Jesus saw Martha, just like Jesus saw Mary, just like he saw all of the people who had gathered around to mourn and grieve over what death will steal, Jesus saw and he felt and he understood. We serve a God who feels and understands and sees. And he loves. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love that reaches down from heaven, that stoops down to touch our faces, to tell us how much he loves us. And I want to tell you this, friends. You may not physically see him, but the promise that God has left us in Jesus Christ the promise that he gave to us in the sending of the Holy Spirit is this. We are never alone. We don't walk through grief, which many of us are still reeling over the loss of a loved one. We don't walk through grief or anger or any other emotion absent of the presence of God. Jesus' promise to the disciples was, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When he began to leave them, he said, My Father will send someone just like me, a comforter, who will come alongside you, who will help you, who will lead you, who will guide you. It is the presence of God, friends, resting in us and giving us the confidence that even in the midst of this crisis, even in the midst of the uncertainty in the world, even as we face a disease that we cannot control, and part of our anger right now is over the fact that we can't control it, and that death is a result of this disease sometimes, we can stand sure-footed in the presence of a God who sees and knows everything that we feel because Jesus has felt it too and says to us, you may not see now what I am doing, but this too I will use for my glory. I wonder if you need a word of hope today to be reminded that just because you cannot see what God is doing doesn't mean that he's not working things for our good. I don't know what this will look like, but I know the one who's in control of it all. 
And today, I invite you, like I've had to do every day this week, to place your confidence in Him. Would you pray with me? Father, we have to be honest and tell you that so much of life right now is really it's scary, it's different, it's uncertain. Some of the things that are happening around us make us so angry. Some of the things around us are so frustrating. We don't understand. We don't understand why you've given wisdom to, to people in the medical field who can't figure out how to treat this. Father, we don't understand why there's not enough equipment available to take care of the people who are sick. We, like Mary and Martha, want to say, if you were here, God. But that negates the truth of the fact that you are God with us right now by the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us and helping us to sort through every emotion because you showed us that you have processed it too. I thank you today for Jesus, both fully God and fully man, who took all of that into himself, who wrestled with the anger that death brings. And upon seeing the grief and the torment, upon seeing what death will steal, in his, in his spirit became angry, but in his flesh wept openly. Father, we thank you that we have a picture of a God who grieves. But we thank you that this is a story about a God who loves with resurrection power. Not just a God who can bring Lazarus forth, but a God who would send himself to the earth to take on the sin of the world, to lay his own life down, but to rise again and stand victorious over death and the grave and everything that frustrates and everything that angers and everything that grieves. God, you are victorious today over every emotion that we have. Thank you for the picture of Jesus who experiences those things. We need that comfort and that peace as we walk through uncertain days. So be with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.
right along with us and experiencing the truth of God's word, the hope from God's word, and also able to sing his praise. My encouragement to you is this. Make more time for God's presence. What God has provided for us in this season, Eric said it so well earlier, that just because we're socially distanced from each other doesn't mean that we have to be distant from God. And we have an opportunity right now with so many distractions set aside to experience the fullness of his presence like we never have before. Maybe you, like Mary, need to come to the feet of Jesus and cry out to him. Maybe you've got some if-you-had-been-here moments that you need to reconcile with the Lord. My word of encouragement to you is this. Whatever you bring to him, whatever you come with, whatever you lay at his feet, he is enough. He is able to receive it. He's not angry about it. He loves you and he welcomes you into his presence. Continue to worship in your homes with your children. Sing songs together. Use the, the videos or the encouragement that we provide to help sustain you through the week. But don't let anything substitute the place of you in the presence of Jesus alone. It's from that wellspring that you will begin to discover deep intimacy with God and a hope that is everlasting. We love you. We'll see you guys next week.